some things that the Lord wants to do in Mexico and through us and some of the things that we feel like God is is calling us to to do. If I had to put a title on the message today, I think it would be Reaching Families for Christ. Rarely does a day go by that you don't read about or hear about the violence and the conflict that's happening in the borders of Mexico. They are real stories that are dramatically affecting the lives of many. They are not overstated or exaggerated. If anything, they are underreported. At times, the risks are great. Some have called me a fool for staying. Others have said that I was suicidal. Still others have said that I was crazy. But I am none of those. I'm simply a man, an accountant from Georgia, trying to impact my world for Jesus. God called me to Mexico nearly 20 years ago, and Mexico is where I will stay. Things do happen there. More in the northern area of Mexico, where we travel sometimes, than in, the, than in the area where I live. Although one day I was called out of my home by 17 heavenly armed soldiers with their weapons drawn, cocked, and aimed. They wanted to know what I was doing, what we were doing way up in the mountains. Many of the drug lords, like El Chapo, Joaquin Guzman, are known to hide out in the mountains. Later that evening, well, it was really night since it was one in the morning, the lieutenant in charge allowed me to have a Bible study for the soldiers. We sat on the front porch of our church. I aimed my car lights toward the porch so that we could see. And there, using the headlights of my car, and it was while it was quietly idling there beside of us, I read many verses from the Bible and explained them. I tried to clearly explain the plan of salvation to those men. Even though it was in the wee hours of the morning, they listened attentively. I am sure that they were well aware that their lives are in danger day in and day out. Many of the soldiers have seen their fellow soldiers being slain by the violence. For an unsaved person, it works on your mind. It works on your mind to see the blood and the gore that they, need, that they see day in and day out. And it's my prayer that the time that we had together will change their eternal destiny. Nearly every week, there are multiple shootouts between the military and armed criminals somewhere in Mexico. There are kidnappings, torture, car bombings, and much more. With all that you're already hearing in the news, I know that that may sound incredible, but it is true. A 16-year-old girl who lived less than 10 miles from my house had her tongue cut out while she was in Saltillo and was then murdered. A 20-year-old boy from the village at the end of our canyon had his arms cut off before he was killed. Rumors say that her father and his uncle were involved with the drug cartels. I don't know if that's true or not, but I do know that they're dead. There are still many who need to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Mier, the mayor's son was kidnapped, and he hasn't been heard from since. He is most likely dead. One day, there was a shootout that started in Ciudad Mier and ended in Miguel Aleman at the house, in front of the house where I spent the night. A wounded man was left laying in the front yard of that house. The next night, there was again a shootout at gunfire outside my bedroom window there. A funeral director in Miguel Aleman went to the government and insisted on help with all the unclaimed bodies. The solution was to bury 400 bodies in a mass grave. 
The people are afraid to claim the bodies of their sons, husbands, fathers, uncles, or anyone else. If someone identifies with the dead, they are targeted because they have shown allegiance to the wrong side. People are regularly hung from overpasses with signs written by the killers. In many cities, you will see young people standing on nearly every corner looking around and talking on their cell phone. Why? They are reporting to their higher-ups about what is going on in their area. Torture, mutilation, and killings are becoming a normal part of life. These things happen. They don't happen every day, and they don't happen in every city, but they do happen. But there's another story, a story that you are not likely to read about or hear about on CNN, Fox, ABC, the New York Times, or any other major media outlet. It's a story of real people using their time, energy, and resources to reach Spanish-speaking families for Jesus. The Mexican culture has always been very different from that of the United States. In America, the clock rules. No matter what happened, the clock rules. This dependence on the clock has caused many to look on our culture from outside, people looking on the outside in to say, see us as a cold culture. One that thinks more about the clock than the people. In contrast to that, Mexico is a land where the siesta and the fiesta, they reign. People have always been the most important part of the Mexican culture. Everything revolves around the people that you are with at that very moment. February 1st... uh, Drug traffickers and other gangs inundated four major cities with violence. There were bombings, shootouts, blockades, hand grenades, killings, burnings, lootings, and destruction. The message that they were trying to send is clear. We can isolate a city and its people whenever and whenever we desire. This is not the first time that this message was sent, and it's likely not going to be the last time. Violence and unprovoked attacks are becoming the norm in many parts of Mexico. Not everywhere, not all the time. The isolation and the violence, the fear, the uncertainty, and the continuing lack of security is causing a significant change in the culture of Mexico and of its people. Its citizens no longer feel free to go out at night. Large gatherings of families and friends are no longer the norm in the evenings. They fear the unknown that lurks outside their door. And as a result, the people are becoming more and more isolated. This fear, this isolation is also creating an environment where people are looking for answers. It is obvious that people are looking for the solutions for the violence. But the violence itself is causing them to also ask, what happens next? What happens after this life? In Philippians, Paul told us that his chains caused his fellow believers to become bolder in their testimony for the Lord. His captivity inspired them to preach the word without fear. Philippians 1.12. Philippians 1.12-14. But I would ye that you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. 
There are literally thousands upon thousands of people who are struggling with the traumatic events that surround us. They are looking for answers. It is my prayer that God will grant the church in Mexico the wisdom to use this time and these opportunities to go forth and boldly proclaim the gospel to all who will listen without fear, without worry for tomorrow. 2 Timothy 1.17 For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. These and other events have dramatically impacted my life, my outlook, my perspective, my whole reason for living. This has not only impacted my preaching in our local church, but it's also changed what I'm doing and how I am reaching out to others. Over the years, all of our outreach efforts in Mexico have had one thing in common. Families. Our desire to see families come to know the Lord as well as to grow in Him. We are currently involved in a variety of ministries. I founded an organization called El Hogar Educador. Large family conferences are presented in various parts of Mexico. The printed magazine reaches over 6,000 families and more than 10,000 additional families are reached through the internet. I have recently turned that ministry over to Mexican leaders. We have had a number of outreach campaigns in Ciudad Mier and surrounding areas. I have made contact with military in that area, with politicians and with local believers. I have personally, along with my son Joshua and others, handed out over 10,000 copies of a 24-page booklet that I wrote, especially for that area. We have personally given out over 1,000 copies of the illustrated Bible, Good and Evil. I preached a series of messages on the topic, Preparing Warriors in the San Fernando area, the area where Mrs. Davis was the wife of a missionary, was shot while traveling to the border with her husband. I believe that God has prepared me and called me for a time like this in Mexico to prince the consequences of sin and eternal damnation in hell to the sinner and faith and confidence in Christ to the believer. For me, Mexico is a wonderful place to be, right in the center of God's will. I founded and pastor a rural church in Mexico. Its members are growing in the Lord and they're helping in the ministry. The church is now helping to support a missionary in Kenya and an orphanage in Romania. We have just recently begun to support a young Mexican pastor who is going to Venezuela in February. Following spinal surgery in March, Pam and I, as well as our local church, have examined the situation along with its risk and its dangers very carefully. We did not make quick and hasty decisions, but we did make some decisions that have radically changed our lives. I believe that these decisions will ultimately change the lives of many in Mexico and beyond. Yes, I have witnessed fear and heartbreak. Yet, I have also experienced a powerful God working through His people in the midst of dire circumstances. A year ago, I began having a extreme pain in my legs and in my feet and as well as in my hands and wrists. Through a series of tests, the doctors ultimately determined and they found out that there was a problem with my neck. Four of my vertebrae had begun to close in to calcify on the inside so that the spinal was being compressed. 
It was determined by an MRI that spinal cord was being compressed to about half of its normal size. After evaluation by five different doctors, all five of those doctors agreed that surgery was needed immediately, that it was urgent. Just a few short weeks later, I submitted to that surgery at a hospital in Monterrey, Mexico. What they did was they cut the four vertebrae on one side in a V-shape to make a hinge and completely threw on the other side and they opened it up and they put a titanium plate there and then they grafted a piece of bone there to grow back, uh, the vertebra there. Since the surgery was done in Mexico and the cadaver that donated that piece of bone for my surgery was from Mexico, I like to tell people, that I am now a full-blooded Mexican, all the way down to the bone. Uh, two weeks prior to that surgery, God began to reveal something to me. God said, Mike, not in a voice that I could hear, but to my heart. He said, Mike, you've been going to all these places that people are hurting and they're dying. And now... I am going to give you the desire of your heart. I am going to bring those hurting and those dying people to you. With that, I went and printed an additional thousand copies of my booklet. And I took three cases of the illustrated Bible, Good and Evil, and I entered the hospital with those. I actually entered the pre-op room with those tracks on my chest, and I was giving them to everybody that I saw. When the main doctor came in, he asked me what it was, and, and I explained to him that I was carrying them in to give to everybody in the operating room. And he said, you can't do that. And I said, i got to do it. He took them from me, and he said, I'll give them one. I asked one of the operating room nurses a little later, and she said, yes, the, the doctor had given them to her, and that she would, in fact, read it. As I was laying there on the operating room table and they began to prepare the medicine to put me to sleep, I asked them how long it would take for me to go to sleep. The guy said about two minutes. And I said, time's short. We've got to pray. And I began to pray. That's the last thing that I remember. But when I woke up, I looked. Uh, as I was thinking at the, about it, I looked at the man and I said, did I pray? And he said, yes, you did. Thank God. As they were wheeling me out of that operating room, I had left instructions with my wife and my son and my friend Cesar to pass out the tracks to anybody in the waiting room. I wanted to make sure that everybody got one. And I asked Michael, my son, did you give everybody one? Yes, Daddy. Yes, Daddy, we did. And I looked up at the guy that was pushing my bed. And I said, did you give him one? Michael said, no, Daddy. I said, give him one. Give him one. Michael said, they're in your room. I'll give you one when you get there. Over the next few days, as I was laying in that hospital room, they wouldn't let me get out of bed. So every believer who came into the room, I would explain to them the importance of sharing Jesus with those around you. And I said, God put on my heart to pass out these 1,000 booklets and these three cases of books to people in this area. But they won't let me get out of bed. Will you help pass out? Will you go into the halls? Will you go into the streets? And will you share the gospel with the people? Some would pick up two or three. Others would pick up a handful. Some picked up many. And they would go out and pass them out. During the next 48 hours, I had a nurse come into my room. And she said, I was reading that booklet in the cafeteria. And one of the nurses asked me if she could take it home with and, and I gave it to her. Would you give me another copy? A little later, I had a taxi driver come into my room. He said, this is exactly what I needed. And he began to quote what I had written there in that booklet about overcoming bitterness and about needing Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I went back to that hospital five weeks later for additional tests. Four different employees came to me and said, Are you the person who wrote that book? And they began to talk to me about it. One of them said, 
I see God every single day helping me in my day-to-day life. Then he added, one day I went home and I thought, I didn't see God working in my life today. And then he began to evaluate his day in his own mind. And then he said, I saw it. God had worked in my life and I, when I was there at the hospital and I didn't even realize it at the moment. God is always working in our lives through every single circumstances in our lives. About a year before the surgery, I had planned four different conferences, four different weekends in four different cities. Three in various locations in central Mexico and one in Texas. I preached 33 times in 27 days. It was hard. In the middle of that time, we were robbed. Over $17,000 worth of money and equipment were stolen. Just like that. My notes for the final eight messages that I was to meet, the only copy of those notes that existed in this world were stolen, along with the money and the equipment. God was faithful, and we finished that time of intense ministry. Near the end of that month-long campaign, God began to take me and our family through what I would consider to be the hardest time of my life. It's not always easy to be on the mission field. Sometimes it's tough. Now, six months later, I am just beginning to see the light at the end of the tunnel as a result of those painful situations and circumstances in our lives. But the pain and the struggles do not define my life. My relationship with Jesus Christ, my Lord, my Savior, my relationship with my family, my sons and my daughters, that, those are the things that define my life. I love my God more than anything. And I love my family more than anything else in this world. That, brothers and sisters, define my life. Sharing Jesus, loving Him, developing a deep, intimate relationship with Him, loving my family and giving them what they need and letting any ministry that happens flow out of those two things. Jesus and my family, those are the important things. In a few minutes, I'll take the time to share about one of the things that God spoke into my heart during this very painful, hard time in my life. In May of this year, as we begin to enter the hard times in my life, I made the decision to hand over the work of El Hogar, the magazine and its conferences, to the group of local Mexican leaders. Some think that was a hard decision, but it was not. It was actually my intention from the very many years ago to that that ministry become Mexicans ministering to Mexicans. I believe that the Mexicans will ultimately be able to take that ministry far beyond anything that I could do. Will I come along beside them? Yes, absolutely. Will I help them? Yes, absolutely. But the Mexicans are God's chosen for that ministry. Some came to the incorrect conclusion because I handed that aspect of the ministry over to a group of Mexicans that I had left Mexico. I have not and I will not leave Mexico. God has called me there and he's called me there for a lifetime. And it is my desire, my heart's desire to live my life out there, no matter how many years that will be there in Mexico, living among the people and loving the people and ministering to them in the midst of hard and trying circumstances. 
That is where Jesus Christ is seen in the lives of people, in their trials, in their struggles, in their day-in and day-out lives. Trials and, trials and struggles do not make us. They don't break us. They only bring delight for the whole world to see what's inside of us and how our relationship with Jesus is. Is it correct? Is it right? Do we turn to God in the middle of everything? Or do we go running because things are not going our way? Last year, I found a pastor and six believers in Ciudad Mier. One day I asked him, how can I help you? What do you need? Through his tears, he said, you are the first person who has asked me that question. He said, my denominational leaders haven't come. My fellow pastors, my friends, they haven't come. You are the first person to ask me what I needed. I have left the majority of work in that city in his hands. His church is now running 35 to 40. And he has a number of small groups that meet throughout the city. We continue to support the conferences and the magazines. In fact, those people have come back and said, we need you to help carry this baton. We're not ready to do that now. We're not only supporting that pastor in Meyer with counsel and advice, we're supporting him financially. I decided that if I had something on my table, he would also have something on his table to eat. There's a lady in his church. She was a wife of a deacon. That man was kidnapped. He has not been seen or heard from since. While no one wants to say it out loud, he's likely dead. She's a widow. We are providing a portion of what she needs to, to live on and to raise her children. First and foremost, I'm trying to take a more active role in my family. With the kids getting older, it's getting more and more important for me to be there for them. As a result of that decision, much, no most really of our ministry is now done out of the little rural valley where I live. No, we're not sitting back doing nothing. We're active. We're trying to reach people for Jesus Christ. And we're asking God to give us creative ways to do so. The kids and I, along with the church, have begun monthly meetings that we are calling a day in the country. We're doing a variety of things. We're having races. We're having sack races. We're having tube races. That's where two people get in two different big drainage tubes and crawl them as fast as they can, skinning their elbows and their knees and seeing who can get out the other end first. We're having three-legged races and all the fun and the laughter that's involved in that. We're having corn cookouts where you roast fresh open corn over an open fire. We have a 10K race planned for the end of the year to celebrate the coming end of the new year that morning. And then that afternoon, we'll have a watch night party that we're going to stay up and we're going to bring in the new year around the bonfire. Pam and I purchased an additional 12 acres of land near our home a while back. Uh, we are planning to use the land to build a family retreat center, a place where Christian fathers can bring their families to get away from the constant well, the worries of the city uh, for a few days. The days in the country that we're having, we're using those for a variety of reasons. One is to bring fellowship, uh, breed fellowship among the believers in our church. But it's also to give them, as, as well as us, a time to invite families and friends and join us for the purpose of fellowship with them, but also for the purpose of getting those who are not believers to be used to being around believers. Giving us an opportunity to be a light, a little spark of light in their lives so that Jesus Christ can use that spark of light to open up 
an opportunity to be a vibrant testimony for him. We're also using that time as an opportunity to get Christians, believers, accustomed to coming out to the mountain area where we live so that they'll begin to develop the desire to use the family camp that we're building. In order to build a family camp, we needed a few things. The first thing that we needed was land. God provided that. Then I needed somebody who had the skill and the knowledge in building needed to help carry out the plans that God put here in my mind. God gave me the ability to see things that are not in this camp as one of those things. But he did not put within these hands the ability to complete it on its own. I needed someone who was willing to come to Mexico and live beside of me and walk and carry out those plans. God in his sovereignty 25 years ago brought me in contact with Ronnie Moss and his wife, Anna Lee. Little did I know, way back then when a mutual friend introduced us, that one day Ronnie and I would be sitting in my home in Mexico. He's a remodeler. He builds and remodels houses. Our family made the financial sacrifice to, we took the money that we had set aside to build our home with there in Mexico and we purchased that land a while back. And so the building of our home was postponed several years. Finally, we're back on track, building the house again, trying to finish it up. In May, I determined that my children had sacrificed enough, that we needed to finish their home, our home. And so I have committed to doing everything possible to get that home finished. It's my prayer, it's my hope, it's my heart's desire that we will have the dedication of that home in January. Ronnie Moss came down for about four weeks to help me work on that house. There, sitting in my living room, he expressed to me the desire to go into the ministry full time. I told him about my need, our need. I asked him, is God calling you to come down and work along beside of us for a period of time, perhaps a year and a half or two years? He and I both honestly thought that it was of the Lord. I flew his wife down for a week. We, we met and we talked, we prayed, we discussed. Within a few short weeks, they had decided to come down. They went back home and began to liquidate their assets. They'll be coming in January. I said, I can't guarantee you any money, but this building that I'm living in right now, which I had originally built for a print shop, you can have it for your home. I will provide your electricity. If I have electricity, you'll have electricity. Now, I probably do need to add that we get our electricity from solar panels, we could use a few more solar panels. And then I said, if I have food on my table, you'll have food on your table. I cannot guarantee you any money, but I can guarantee you that if I eat, you eat. A few short weeks later, they made the decision to come to Mexico. They will be arriving in early January. I hope, I pray that our house is done. It's getting closer. The family camp is different from any other Christian family camp that I have seen. It's something that was birthed in my mind 14 years ago when I first rode into that valley. A place that Christian fathers can bring their wife and children to spend time with them. Not that I would be doing all the teaching, not, not that I would be doing conferences, not that I would be doing kids' camps, no. A place for fathers and mothers to bring their sons and daughters and spend time with them in a safe environment. A place where the biggest risk is a bear or a rattlesnake, not a guy with a machine gun. 
a place where they can look out of their cabin door or their tent window and see the glory of God all around them because even the creation cries out and demonstrates God's presence. God provided the land. God provided someone to help direct in the building of that camp. There was one cabin and two log cabins on the property that I bought. They need major renovation. Well, actually, one of them needs to be tore down and rebuilt. There's tractor work that needs to be done. Among other things, Ronnie is a skilled tractor driver. And he has the ability to teach my children and others to run a tractor. We need a bobcat. It makes more sense to buy a piece of equipment and invest time in training our people than to just simply pay somebody else the equivalent amount to do all the work that needs to be done. The property needs to be fenced in. We need to install the chain link fence that we've already purchased and we need to purchase many thousands more feet of chain link fence. Our plan is to have some cabins and to also have camping areas. But Mexicans are not accustomed to camping out. So they don't have tents. They don't have sleeping bags for the most parts and things like that. So we need camping gear. We need tents. We need sleeping bags. We need other camping gear. Where does it start? I don't have the money. I don't have the resources. But there was a day that I didn't have the land. And I have it now. There was a day that I didn't have the helper and I have him now. I believe that the God that owns the cattle on a thousand hills will sell a few of his cows and provide what we need to finish our home, to remodel those cabins, to put up the fence, to buy the tractor that we need, to acquire the camping equipment that's needed, Perhaps some of you even have tents or sleeping bags in your home that you don't use anymore. I don't know how God is going to provide all that, but I know that God has called me to step into the waters and watch Him open those waters and we will simply walk through on dry land and see the glory of God manifested in all that He does. Almost no missionary now has teams coming into Mexico. Why? Because the supporting churches are afraid to go. I believe that God is going to even begin putting in the hearts of people to come down and work along beside of us as we build this family camp for the glory of God. I hesitate to tell you about this next part. There's 110 acres behind me for sale. I look at that mountain. It looks like a great place to make hiking trails up through that mountain. There's a little plateau partway up, and I see that place, and I see a place that we can clear off, and we can build a fort. You know, like the old forts that the Calvary had back in the days of the Cowboys and the Indians? And make places to camp out there. And then up a little ways farther, there'd be the area where you put up the teepees and you'd have the teepee camping. Can you imagine the little boys and the little girls going to sleep in their teepee at night? I can. Then up toward the top of the mountains where it's cold, uh, where it's cold up there year round, I see the little area for the igloos. Can't you imagine? Making that trek up the mountain with your son or your daughter? Having been in the cities where you're afraid to even go outside of your house? And crawling into that igloo? Pulling that warm sleeping bag up over you? Zipping it up? And going to sleep in peace? In tranquility? Can you imagine it? Can you imagine getting up the next morning, picking up some firewood, lighting a fire with your son, with your family, perhaps for the first time in your life or in his life? 
putting on some water to make coffee and then beginning to cook breakfast over that fire and sitting there and reading the Bible with your son, telling stories with your wife and your kids. Can you, can you imagine that? I can. Can you imagine having some horses there? Can you imagine having some donkeys there? Can you imagine getting three or four of them and going for a ride? Maybe the first time in your life that you've ever been that close to an animal? I can. Timothy can too. Benjamin, Anna, they can too. Can you imagine having to clean out their stables? Let's not go there. You know, doing things for Jesus isn't all about doing glorious things. It's not all about big meetings. It's not all about writing home and saying, 50 people were saved tonight. It's about doing things day in and day out. It's about being faithful in small things. It's about seeing it's about seeing the vision. It's about stepping out. It's about watching God part the waters. That's what it's about. It's about God. Now, as we travel up that path that we made up the mountain, we see the fort and the, and the Calvary and the cowboys and the Indian areas and the igloo areas. What do you see on the top of that mountain? What do you see? Can you see it? I can see it. When you climb up to the top of that mountain and you look north, you have almost line of sight to Monterrey, the capital of Nuevo León, a city of 5 million people, 28 miles or less away from the top of that mountain. When you look over to the east, to the west, you see Saltillo, almost line of sight, a city of 600,000 people, 30 miles in a straight line. It takes three hours to get to them, but in a straight line. What do you see? What do you see? I see a radio antenna broadcasting the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can see it. It's in my heart. And I believe God put it there. And God put it there. I can see it just as clearly as I can see you and I can see you and I can see you. Does it exist? Nowhere except in my mind's eye. But one day, God willing, it will. Some have pitied our family and the sacrifices that we've made. Never pity a missionary. Those who go to fulfill Christ's commands to preach the word. We are where action is. Where God is working in the hearts and the lives of men. We are living where life and death converge. Where sin and grace come together. Where heaven and hell are in a fierce battle for the souls of men. Where a living God is working His will in the lives of men. How will they hear without a preacher? A living example. How will they know the saving power of the gospel if no one tells them? God often gives men a second chance. Some have even said that God is the God of second chances. Yet any farmer knows that you must harvest a crop when it is ripe. There is no second chance to harvest a ripe crop. Now is the time that we must march forward boldly proclaiming the gospel. Ask God. Just like Ronnie Moss did. Just like Annalise Moss did. Ask God to open your heart and your mind to the way that he wants you to get involved in missions. 
in the hearts and the lives of people. Romans ten fifteen says, And how shall they preach unless they shall be sent? As it is written, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. God is working in my life. The church and there in Mexico. Revival is happening. And even greater revival is on its way. I feel it everywhere I go. The country is ripe and ready for the harvest. God is preparing the believers everywhere. I do not know what tomorrow or next week or next month will bring. But I look forward to them with great anticipation. God has been good to me. And I look forward to tomorrow, to next week, and to next month, no matter what they may bring. A man's joy and his peace is not determined by his outward condition, but by what is in his heart. Some may say, my plans are too big, that I am just one man. If the gospel is true, if there's a heaven and a hell, if the internal destination of men is on the line, then my plans are not too big. They are too small. The joy of the believer should not depend only on the present circumstances, but also on the things to come. We have a living hope set before us, and we rejoice in that hope to achieve true joy. We have to have a singular mind, a mind that is not divided, a mind set on things above. Earlier I said that I'd like to share toward the end of the message something that God taught me as we were beginning to go through the toughest time in our lives. It was just the beginning of the tough times. It was in March. The really tough times began in May and continued for the next six months. And we haven't completely walked out of those yet, but we're on our way. I can see it. I can see the other side of the sea now that has been parted for me to walk through. Now, I would like to take a few minutes to tell you about that. In early March, I stood in my pulpit. No, I sat on the platform because I could not stand. I could not walk because of the pain in my legs. And I said, God was making all things, even the bad ones, work together for good. God is no respecter of persons. If he did it for Paul and Silas, he can also do it for me and for you. But do not forget to pray and do not cease to praise God. In all things, praise God. He is worthy to be praised. Praise God. Have you been going through bad days this week? Maybe you feel like you had a bad year. It is possible that there are people here who think they had a bad life. It is time to change that. It is time to come out of the darkness and walk in the marvelous light of the Lord. Do not leave this place in defeat. You should not leave here depressed or discouraged. There is a way to turn a bad day around. There is a way to find victory and be a conqueror, to be more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. When we come before the Lord, we will not be able to blame Him for having lived defeated lives. We will not be able to blame anyone else. We will give an account for our lives. If we allow Satan to drag us through life, depressed, defeated, and discouraged. It can only be because we have not allowed God to be the Lord of our life. He will ask us, why didn't you let it go? Let it go today! I think it would be good to meditate on the words of the first course that I learned in Spanish. This is a rough translation. The title is, I am yours, tu yo soy. I am nothing, and from the dust I was born, but you loved me and died for me. 
before the cross, I can only exclaim, I am yours. I am yours. Take my hands, I beg you. Take my lips, I love you. Take my life, O Father. I am yours. Take my hands, I beg you. Take my lips, I love you. Take my life, O Father. I am yours. I am yours. When on my knees, I look at you, Lord. I see your greatness. I see my littleness. What can I give you? Only my being. I am yours. I am yours. Take my hands, I beg you. Take my lips, I love you. Take my life, O Father. I am yours. Take my hands, I beg you. Take my lips, I love you. Take my life, O Father. I am yours. I am yours. Let us rid ourselves of our pride and of our selfish desires. Let us lay aside sin and focus on the cross. This is the road to becoming men and women useful to God. This is the road to becoming men and women used by God. Let's pray. God, use our lives, our testimonies, and your word to bring about changes in the hearts and the lives of men everywhere. Use the example of Ronnie and Annalie Moss to help people catch the vision that no matter how old they are, no matter what they have done with the rest of their lives, that they are still able to step out and serve you in new and exciting ways. Help us to be faithful, God. Help us to be faithful, God, in all that we do. Amen.